I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Tottenham have decided to part ways with Antonio Conte, bringing an end to the Italian's literally tumultuous 17-month stint at the club. Here on The View from the Lane, I will get into how it all unfolded, why Christian Stellini is staying on, and what comes next. But first, let's say it. Arrivederci, Antonio. Coaching philosophy is very simple. To play good football, an attractive football for our uh, fans with passion. We're going to begin by talking about Spurs. Looks like yeah. they're going to sign their fifth player at the transfer window. You know what I love about Spurs now? If I was a Spurs fan, I'd be very excited because finally Daniel Levy is allowing his managers to buy not only players, but buy, buy the players for now. For the fifth in the last five games, this is the first time in my life that happened in this type of situation. Maybe, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe, I'm not so good. Manley! And it's 2-0. Wow. Almiron just completely skinned Longley alive. And Spurs go out to the Carabao Cup tonight in the penultimate game before the Here, don't play for uh, for uh, for something important. Yeah, and uh, they don't play. Uh, they don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. Uh, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham story is this: 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly, and alongside me today, Athletic's James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Let's get straight into it. Conte is gone, and the big question, I guess, that will be on everybody's lips is, how did your bet unfold, the two of you? Uh, somebody somebody remind us of exactly what how, what you were betting about. There's, there's huge controversy over this. Hi, James. Actually, Hi, Charlie, Danny. by the way. You know, hello. hello. So, so the, the sportsman's bet, we should call it, there was no there was no sort of monetary stake involved, we should, we should be clear. Just pride. Just pride, which, I mean, is priceless. Honour. Really. Well, on this, yeah, on, on this exactly. podcast, is the only currency. The priceless mm-hmm. intangibles. So, so the, the bet was, uh, I, I said to Charlie that Conte would have been sacked by the time... He was back from paternity leave, which, as listeners will know, was last Tuesday. 
Mm-hmm. T- two things. Well, I mean, actually, thinking about it, it was a mutual agreement, so technically he didn't get sacked. So, I mean, you could have wiggled out of it that way. I think if, it was just if, that he'd be had, gone, wasn't it? Maybe, maybe. But Charlie was originally supposed to be coming back from paternity leave tomorrow. Oh! Mm. And he brought it forward a week because of some quote-unquote... Because of some quote unquote miscalculation. How spurious. You, you, you want me to believe that a clever man like Charlie Eccleshare can't work out six months on a calendar? It's nonsense. He's up to something. I don't trust him. I very honestly realised I'd been given an extra week. And I thought 26 weeks was already pretty generous. To take a 27th felt like it was taking a piss. <laughs> so I, I did the honourable thing, fessed up, and good karma. I, it instantly came back because it meant that I won this, uh, this sportsman's bet. So it just shows, kids, do the right thing. Okay, right. So, what have we what have we decided? Charlie has won the bet. You know well, what I yeah, mean? I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, we we agreed that J- James um, is a moral victory for James because he was all but gone by the time I came back on Tuesday. The best kind but, of victory. Yeah, yeah. But in the actual legal sense, I was the winner. We knew he was going, and all that remained, I guess. And, you know, we can talk about it on other podcasts. Well, his legacy, to use that horrible modern word. We knew it was going, but I got two words for you, and I'll start. I'll start. Charlie, you can give me a response. Two words: Christian Stellini. Now, you two are paid. I'm paid to 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 know about a lot of things. You two are paid specifically to know about Tottenham Hotspur, as are hundreds of other journalists and pundits and seers and sages of every stripe. And not once in the last two weeks, certainly in the last week of speculation, not once did I see the name Christian Stellini. He was never in the betting as the, as the next manager of Tottenham, temporary or permanent. So I say, I say to you again, Eccleshare, Christian Stellini? Well, I've always been a fan of his work at Alessandria and Siri Chair in, <laughs> in 2017, as you know. So this, this comes as a little surprise to me. Yeah, it's a weird one because I think everyone thought if it was going to be interim, it'd be Ryan Mason, yes. given, he, given he's done it already um, and did a pretty solid job that time around on four out of six league games. Um, and then there was the League Cup final. Or that they would try and get someone... Uh, we, we spoke about this on Thursday, didn't we? Or they'd get someone in permanently. This feels... Uh, I don't know. Like, the, I guess he's the continuity candidate in the sense that he has managed the team already this season in Conte's absence. But given the wreckage that Conte's left, to appoint his assistant and loyalist, you know, the man whose Mate. career... Yeah, yeah. I mean, his career has been defined by Antonio Conte. It's very, it's it's a very strange situation. I can't remember. I mean, you you're both you will remember times when clubs have done this before, where the manager has gone and left behind the staff. So as I understand it, only his brother, only Antonio Conte's mm. brother, is going. I can't remember. This must have happened at dozens of football clubs, but I don't come very easily to mind. And certainly the dual interim manager situation, you know, assistant to the assistant manager uh, that they've got going. It's it's. It's bewildering to me, James. What did you What did you think when you saw the statement and slipped in in the third sentence of it was, "Oh yeah, Christian Stellini's the new manager." I, I mean, it does kind of feel like a a tacit acknowledgement that the reason Conte is gone isn't the results or the style of football. It's his personality and the way in which he rubbed people up the wrong way at the club. I mean, because if he were worried about the style of football or the kind of results trending downwards, surely you'd get rid of the assistant and you'd bring in someone else who was going to change the system or change the style of play or 
bring a completely fresh perspective to the training ground that hadn't been there even for the if last only temporarily months. even if only yeah temporarily. yeah exactly. e- even if only on a temporary call it, basis call it the red nap solution for the sake of shorthand yeah you get somebody in who yeah can, yeah exactly who yeah. can vibe up the players and say actually we're going to we're not be quite so defensive so that at least if we if we if we fail let's say in this case by not finishing in the top four we'll go down pleasing the Spurs fans yeah so so all it is is really just Levy saying we'll remove this. Yeah, uh, sort of seemingly toxic element, and just kind of hold the tiller and keep going in the same direction and hope we uh, don't hit dry land before the end of May. Because it, it just seems to me like not a lot is probably going to. Ch- maybe I'm completely wrong. And obviously there were some good performances and results under Stellini. We should acknowledge there were also bad ones. You know, they lost that Sheffield United game without Conte. They lost the uh, the Wolves game without Conte. So we should be clear that it, you know it wasn't entirely fantastic with Stellini. If we're going to praise him for Chelsea and Man City, then we should, you know, also offer constructive criticism for uh, those other games that I just mentioned. But I'd be surprised if there's a massive change in the style of play. I'd be surprised if there's a massive change in the level of performance, which you know we've said before isn't hasn't been entirely awful consistently. It has been in, at times dreadful, but on average they've kind of been better than fine. So it does seem like. All they've really done is remove that one element. They haven't. That, that I, I, it just I, you know, as you say, it seems unusual that by making this managerial change, it'd actually be changing so little. I, I mean, I'm using the word unusual because I'm trying not to be a catastrophist. Um, if such a if such a person exists here on the view from the lane, let me put it another way. Then, um, during Conte's recent illness, and of course we all wish him good health. During Conte's recent illness, we were told that Stellini was some kind of sock puppet. Um, that he was, you know, getting his instructions from a hospital bed in northern Italy um, via various modern communications methods. And also, Charlie, if we wanted a break with Antonio Conte, and I needed a break from Antonio Conte, they're two slightly different things, presumably Stellini's not, after the, I mean, an adult lifetime of being in touch with him, he's going to just be in touch with him every day. It looks to me like this is a half, half in, half out thing, particularly with retaining all the staff. Yeah, though I'm sceptical as to even if he wanted to have Conte's ear, I'm not sure how much Conte is going to be on hand to help him. I think he's going to be washing his hands saying, you're on your own, Christian. I don't care about this anymore. I mean... Well, he could have said that any time in the, in the last two months, in my opinion, but go on. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the idea, and as ever, I'm here to be slapped down. You'll tell me this is ridiculous, but I'm just telling you the, the idea is that Stellini is is well-liked, well-thought-of by the players. Well, I can't know that, so yeah, that, that's possible. Go yeah, on, that, that, that's you know my understanding yes. of it. And so the sense, I suppose, is that you know he it will be different. There won't be the same toxicity. Um, and, you know, he's, he's very different in how he... Well, he's in some ways very aligned with Conte and very similar to him, uh, works extremely hard, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's tough, but he's not going to be, you know, chucking flamethrowers at press conferences you would think anyway I mean we were saying how funny it would be if he did just go in on Friday and repeated what Conte had said um, but I suspect he's going to be very diplomatic toe the line but it's going to be weird because he's going to be asked A you know did you agree with the sacking of Antonio Conte he's going to be asked B did you agree with what he said about the players and the club and all of this and I guess see what you were suggesting Danny are you going to be speaking to Antonio? Is he going to still be running the show? So, and those questions will probably linger on for the rest of the season. I love the way you're saying that, like you're not going to be one of the journalists the asking those questions. The exact person asking those <laughs> yeah. questions. 
Um, it, I mean, yes, I suppose if if we were writing a TV drama, you know, Stellini's first press conference would just, as you say, just set fire to the club again. Um, but it, presumably he's been told in no uncertain terms that that doesn't work. Is, can some, someone help me with it then? Someone give me the upside of it of not entirely changing what has been to to me at least, and I'm you know I'm, I'm an outsider and I, I I I can't know what's going on there. A, a regime that has run its course looks you know bankrupt of ideas. Why haven't they? Someone give me a positive about about the what the solution that they've come up with in the teeth of absolutely nobody thinking it was a good idea 24 hours ago. I guess the idea being that under Stellini this season things did stabilise. The sense was that, and and this you know this is what I was told with Conte not being there, it did feel a bit calmer. That the atmosphere was that bit better. The hope, and again, this is there to be shot down. That you know they do have a lot of very good players, and take away all the background noise, all the tumult that's been there all season, and maybe just maybe the quality of Kane, Son, Romero, etc., will shine through. He's a kind of safe pair of hands in theory. He he appeared to be that during that decent run, as we said. Obviously not flawless given Sheffield United, etc. Uh, so I guess that's the hope that you know things cut. They need they don't. The last thing they need is more change. Now they just need to have someone solid in there who can guide them through what is only ten games, isn't it? But it's, it's it's a huge punt for sure. Just just looking at it now and tell me if I'm getting this wrong. So Stellini was in charge for Man City, which they won, not for Leicester, which they lost, West Ham, which they won, Chelsea that they won, and Wolves away that they won. Uh, that they no, lost. Wolves away they lost. Sorry. Yeah. Wolves, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm literally looking at this on a screen. It's yeah. in red and I've still said the wrong thing. That can happen. Wolves that away. That can happen, Jack. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Very good. Wolves away that they lost. So they won... Three out of four, so nine points from twelve. Uh, nine points from a possible twelve. I mean, if you extrapolate that over the last ten games, what's that going to be like? Eighteen. Oh, that'd be plenty. Uh, Twenty-two points. Something yeah. Like. Well, I mean, well, um, I'll, I'll do the math. James, your, your part in this in this in the show is not necessarily to be optimistic like that, but you've actually twenty-two point five. You've made a good be, argument, yeah. which would be plenty. It. I mean, look, there you go. All you've got to do is exactly the same as I did in the first. Four games. But if Charlie twice, twice and a half. Again. Yeah, and in a run that includes fixtures against Liverpool, Manchester United, and Newcastle United, one well, back to back. Can lo- they can lose those and win the rest. Will that will that do it, Charlie? Who's no, uh, maths brain in, in, in this? Losing world? those three, well, that would get them twenty-one points. Yeah, that which right, would take, also take it. probably be fine. Here we go again. Charlie's going to tell us it's all going to be fine. Calm down. Why? Why does it? Why? Why as a as a continuity candidate? And again. The background to my question is that I just don't understand the 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 need to keep on any part of Antonio Conte's regime because Ryan Mason would have been a continuity candidate, wouldn't he? He knows the club. He's mates with certain with the senior players. He's played with some of them. It it, it also, I mean, also, what does he think yeah, about it? But that would have take that would have. Bear in mind as well, there are a lot of Conte's staff. You know, all as you mentioned, all of whom are staying apart from his brother. I suppose you're then probably moving more parts if you're then getting rid of additional members of staff and giving it to Mason. And then you're maybe having to move people around from other parts of the club and it gets a bit more messy. This might be viewed as the one that causes the least disruption. Again, whether that's right or, you know, I'm not saying that's the right approach, but that might, I suspect, that's part of the logic. But also, I guess that that fundamentally comes down to whether you think loads need to be changed or not, because going with a kind of 
avoiding disruption to something that hasn't been going very well might be the wrong approach anyway. It's kind of like, you know, when you watch an episode of Air Crash Investigation, right? Right. It now we're getting and there's down like, to it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, so like they lose power in the engines and they're, they're gliding. And that like 50% of the time, if you watch this program, they're fine. Like 50% of the episodes, despite the name, they, they kind of might have a crash landing and people survive. I don't know, maybe this is a poor comparison, but like, I, I, it kind of feels like they'll be on like a certain course. And assuming that, like, I feel like it's all about momentum now. Like if they win at Everton on Monday night, they've got a bit of momentum and they can take that going forward. But I think the second there's any kind of setback, like if there's a problem with the flaps, there's always, there's always a problem with the flaps. Yeah, the always, always the flaps. There's the second there's like any kind of minor problem, I think it'll knock them off kilter and then they'll be they'll be jiggered after that. That that's the way I see it going. I think if they if they win on Monday, win against Brighton, and you know, maybe they're now weak Bournemouth and then they're in good form going into the difficult games, I kind of feel like maybe they'll be okay. But if they get if they draw or lose on Monday night, I think it could be a complete nightmare. Um I I hear you and I, I the last few words ring true. I'm 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 naturally an optimist. I, I want to be optimistic. My feeling when I was thinking about this last night after I, I was actually on air discussing it with Spurs fans, my feeling is that it, it's, it has it within it, the ability to go very wrong very quickly. You know, but for simply this reason, if they go out and Stellini plays the same kind of football as Antonio Conte and nothing we have seen so far really has convinced us that, that's, that it's not going to be that, then people like me who are, you know, um, less down on the on the man on the on the owners than than others because I, I I was there twenty years ago when the club was stuck in mid table. I'll be displeased. The first bad result equally, people who are very much anti Daniel Levy and of course Enoch out and all the rest of it, and they're t- perfectly entitled to that view. They will then say, "Here's another mistake this bloke has made. He got one. He got a chance to salvage his season, and he's made a, by making a decision that nobody saw coming. The only possible scenario that works for Daniel Levy in all this." is that you know they do go on a fantastic winning run and he can then declare himself a genius and then he'll have to give the job to Christian Stellini full-time and the whole thing starts again. I'd say there's no chance of that. No, yeah. yeah, but you, you didn't think there's any chance of him getting the job part-time either. Well, I feel it's quite different though, right? I mean, Tim Sherwood sort of did okay, broadly speaking. I mean, other than when he was broadly speaking. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Um, and, and he didn't get the job, did he? And he was never going to, despite them sort of pretending that he might. So I, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't worry about that. Like if, if we're in a situation where they have that, had to have that slightly awkward conversation, I'm sure we'll be fine. I do hope as well that because spoke about this last week that obviously the optics of Mason getting it again for this, you know, it, then you are in exactly the same position as they were two years ago. I hope that Stellini that that hasn't come into it because you know, that they have just gone for Stellini because they think he is the best person for it. Um, but I do wonder if part of it is just knowing that, you know, Mason for the second time in two years is... I mean, not that this isn't a bad look. Obviously, having an interim for the, the back end of the season, second out of three seasons, is is no different, really. Is, but, this, yeah. is this where we come to my stat? Danny, oh, is, this yeah. where, is this where we come to my yes, stat? Yes, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's James Moore's stat. I worked this out at half past one in the morning and Charlie can verify that because he would have seen in the Slack channel well, he's got, he's, me suggesting he's we worked it out. And then he's coming also back. got that camera in your bedroom, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a creepy bloke. Right. By the end of this season, a caretaker slash interim managers, open brackets, including Tim Sherwood, even in that bit when they were pretending he was the manager, but we all knew he wasn't going to be the manager. Close brackets. Yeah. Will have been in charge for 8.9% 
of the Premier League matches Spurs have played since Daniel Levy took over as chairman in 2001. That's 75 out of 846 games. And That feels like a lot to me as a percentage. Did you, though, at one thirty work out the percentage of every other Premier League club? Because Chelsea must Chelsea <laughs> must be in a normal emulator. Because otherwise, there's no frame. Yeah, of but I, I kind of feel like if you're comparing yourself to Chelsea's approach to hiring and firing managers, but, you know, that's the yeah, low bar. I don't, it? but Daniel Levy does. No, I mean, yeah, that is true. Chelsea is the kind of uh, natural they've comparison. Ha- they've had it? interims, haven't they? They've, they've had the interims. They've also had interims. interims. Well, and got to the Champions League final with Avram Grant. I mean, there's the idea, isn't there? If you've got kind of big... And that team was said to manage itself. Um, I guess there's an extent to which when you've got Harry Kane, Romero, Lloris, whatever you that they can i mean harry kane has been his his ability to maintain his level despite everything that goes on is is absolutely incredible i would only say that about him out of those players that you just named i don't i wouldn't yeah, compare i wouldn't compare that spurs spine to that chelsea spine in no, terms true. of like, sort of bloody mind terry lampard balak yeah drogba yeah, check drogba. Yeah, no definitely not no and i noted with all due respect i noted that when Harry Kane in one of his post-match interviews before we knew... I mean, he will have known, I guess, when he was doing the interview that it was going to be Christian Cellini. Otherwise, you know, uh, what's going on? I asked by one of the journalists, so now you've got to get back to Tottenham. And his answer was, I just want to say how much I've enjoyed being here with England. Now, uh, <laughs> an old-fashioned Kremlinologist like myself would read a lot into that, that he couldn't even bring mm-hmm. and say, I can't wait to get back to the Spurs Lodge, get down to work again <laughs> on, on my, right, my holding role in midfield. Uh, <laughs> the battle for fourth, <laughs> or or sixth, or seventh, or eighth, or whatever he said at the press yeah, conference. Yeah, I mean, as he predicted, what he really—I mean, that that was the most for me. That was the most telling moment of the entire fiasco at Southampton. When you know we're all human beings, and I I interpreted that as as Antonio Conte's hopes for the team that he would leave and they would crash behind him into eighth place. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, come on, son, out you go. Come on, out, yeah, come yeah. on, it was nuts, absolutely nuts. As just for the sake of argument, because I don't know Christian Stellini, I've not seen his work. There is a very limited body of work, unless you go back to uh, the third division in Italy to look back on. I, I, I think this appointment looks like it has all the ingredients of going completely bonkers again in the next few weeks. Bonkers was the exact word I was about to use. Yeah. We're trying. We're trying to say, oh, look at that. Stop bad. Okay, Daniel, give you a chance. It looks nuts. No, it's, it's dreadful. Nuts. It's 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 dreadful. It is utterly awful. It's a it's a that statistic I've just read out. This situation, honestly, it's just it's it's it just says so much about the way the club has been run in the last few years. It's and I know actually, if you look at that stat, a lot of those uh, interim managers would have been from way back. But you know, the fact that we're in this situation again, as Charlie says, two years on from. Mason taking over from the last six games after they've sat Mourinho. And I haven't had a manager for a full season since 2018-19. I mean, it, that is, amazing. it is bad. It's a big club. And they've had proper managers as well. You know, I, I, let's not be too cruel to Nuno, but they've not all been Nuno. You had Mourinho and Conte <laughs> and Pochettino. They're proper managers. It's not, it, it might not have been the right manager for Tottenham in those moments. It's, Maybe honestly, he'll be- it's so bad. Maybe Celine would be like the Martin Yole who came in as uh, you know upgraded assistant and then did that great job. Maybe, maybe the the, the cynic in me as we head towards the break here because I want to get you know, let's get get on to who might be the permanent manager um, at the far side of this. Although uh, seeing how they dealt with this situation, it's almost pointless to to speculate. I think, of course, the awkward situation, the awkward conversation that you talked about earlier um, with Stellini and all the rest of 
Antonio Conte's backroom staff, at least in one way, there's a natural break. So I presume all their contracts come to an end in three months' time. So they're, they're, they're yeah, I mean yeah, there's that yeah. Um, so once again, we find ourselves the person with their their hand on the tiller um, of our little boat as it heads out into the rough seas of the Premier League is someone who doesn't have any real long term interest in the journey actually being successful. Although that may be to tarnish the professionalism of Christian Stellini. We'll find out soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You should remember that you can vote for us at the Sports Podcast Awards. You have to go to the website, create an account. It's free and it's really easy. That's www.sportspodcastgroup.com. After that, head over to the awards tab, then vote. Thusly, click on the best team podcast. Click vote next to the view from the lane. Don't mistakenly vote for somebody else. And then click submit your vote in the top right-hand corner of the page. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to the view from the lane. I'm Danny Kelly alongside James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare from The Athletic. Um, as we continue to poke through the, not they're not even ashes yet, the burning embers um, of not only Antonio Conte's reign at Tottenham, but also what we're going to do for these next 10 games going forward with Christian Stellini at the controls. And Charlie, you and uh, and, and uh, Jack Pitbrook have written a piece in The Athletic about how to fix Tottenham, to, you know, that famous word, how to fix something. We, I, I, we haven't got time to discuss it in full here, but just give people a flavour, some bullet points of what it is you think the two of you come up with in order to fix Tottenham. Yeah, well, look, what, the first is related to the players and this idea of player power, but talking about getting a manager who actually develops 
the players and is really focused on that. Talked about finally deciding which is it, win now or Tottenham DNA, uh, these kind of competing ideologies that seem to run through the club. And then once you have decided on that strategy, align your recruitment so that it supports that. Don't have a director of football who seems to be about signing younger players uh, and then a head coach who just wants, you know, win now players. So, you know, last year you, you bring in Jed Spence, club signing, and you bring in Ivan Perisic, who was very clearly a Conte signing. And that's fine to an extent if that's a deliberate policy, but it didn't really seem that. It seemed like two very much competing threads. And then we talk about have, having this sort of unifying figure, you know, the only one we've really seen is Pochettino, who can pull the club in the same direction uh, rather than, as a, as I say, you know, having a manager or a head coach who seems to be at odds with what the director of football is doing and statements coming out of the club, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot in there and, you know, everyone will have their view on this. But yeah, we, we, we wanted to basically, some of it is picking apart what Conte said and some of it goes beyond that. And very quickly, does any part of it refer to, and there's no, there's no uh, attack on you if, if it doesn't, does anything refer to get, just getting the fans to like the football team again? Yeah, that's sort of in the the kind of having this unifying figure who'll get people behind him and behind the club. And so much of that is tied up with this sort of win now versus Tottenham DNA. And also we talk about it, we, we get into the kind of profits over glory debate. And yeah, just th- this idea that, f- you know, the, that the football part is often overlooked. Um, I think, you know, a lot of fans feel that there are there are other more important priorities which feels kind of crazy for a football club but that is a prevailing view and I was thinking about this as well like results being good does so much to quell the dissent about you know ownership and strategic decisions and things like that like if Spurs would if Spurs's results were good I don't think anyone would really care that they were putting on concerts or that they had this F1 track or whatever you know people if the the team was playing yeah exactly exactly and you know you you think about like terrible owners in inverted commas amongst some fan bases when they're doing well you know do we hear about the Cronkies anymore I don't I haven't heard them mentioned in ages because results are good whereas for a while there they were the you know the worst thing that English but football had ever seen all you're, so, all you're actually illustrating there I think Charlie is that you know the for most supporters and fans not the sort of hyper engaged on, on, on social media for most Ordinary fans, all that matters is what happens on that rectangle of grass. That is the football club. It and your vision of it, your seeing of it, your experience of it, that is the football club. It doesn't matter about hotels, investors, people flying in and out to look at the, you know, the, the possibility of becoming quarter owner or whatever. All of that is the background machinery to produce the end product, which is only the football team on the pitch. Um, and now, look, I'm not naive. That is not the way the owners of these clubs see them, obviously, because you wouldn't be spending four four billion pounds on a football club. The very idea when I was growing up, I used to laugh when it's a local pork butcher bought a club in the north of England that was thought to be swanky. Look at him showing off buying a football club there for twenty grand, uh, four billion pounds more being offered for football clubs now. Um, I get it, and everyone should go and read the article because. At the back of it is a great deal of common sense. So we have a manager for 10 games, for another 8.9% of the of the tenure of Daniel Levy, as, as James has pointed out, um, which, I mean, does the, the, the strangeness of the decision to keep Stellini and the backroom staff on 
Does that in any way colour the fact that we've got to decide now, James, on who the next manager is going to be? Can we think outside of the box of just looking and say, there's, there's Nagelsmann, he's the most famous one who's currently out there, let's, let's approach him and send him work down the list? Or will they be thinking you know, somewhere weirdly outside this box? They should be like coming out of a list in order and working through that list fairly quickly, I'd say. I mean, you know, it's all very well and good, good for us to say they've got 10 games, effectively 10 weeks to work it out. But we saw two years ago, that isn't always long enough for uh, for this club to get that sort of thing sorted out. Yeah, the, I mean, the Nagelsmann thing could complicate it, I guess, because I think I think we know that Tuchel was certainly someone that they were at least interested in, in theory. Well, I think that's one of the uh, reasons why Bayern uh, have moved, moved when they have. Yeah, it wouldn't be at all surprised if that was the case. Obviously, there's a possibility that the Madrid job comes up as well if, if Ancelotti goes to Brazil in the summer. Yeah, and then suddenly <laughs> Tuchel isn't available, but Nagelsmann is. And I, I mean, to my money, Nagelsmann's probably a better fit. To, all the things that... Charlie has just said there about sort of developing players and whatever else. I'm not saying Tuchel can't do that. He obviously has done it in his career. But I think in terms of like Spurs DNA versus win now, you would probably, if you wanted Spurs DNA, I think you'd probably lean more towards Nagelsmann. That, than, than Thomas Tuchel? <laughs> than Tuchel, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, look, uh, Nagelsmann has, yes, the work he did at Leipzig rather than what's happened at Bayern Munich would be you say that, well, and Hoffenheim before yeah. that as well, when he was like sort of fourteen or whatever he was when he was manager. Yeah, and, and, and put up the big screens so they could look at their own training back and all the rest of it. My, my, I mean, I, this is this is ridiculous, and maybe um, this uh, perhaps is to do with my antiquity. I'm worried about people who dye their eyebrows. I got to be honest, because um, it suggests to me <laughs> it suggests to me a level of narcissism um, that may uh, take him into the same league as Antonio Conte and 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 Jose Mourinho. But maybe that's the price you pay of having these super managers. The Charlie, you know, I know you're just back um, from your uh, uh, paternity leave, and congratulations again on all that going so well. And it's maybe throwing you at the deep end here, but, but you're a fresh eye and you're a fresh ear here. Who, 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 who are Spurs? How are they going to do this, and who are they going to get? Because the, sorry, the complicating factor for all of you is that Nagelsmann will have his eye on the Real Madrid job. Make no mistake about that. But as well as Real Madrid, I fully expect. At least one and probably both of the Milan clubs to be looking for a manager in the summer. Paris Saint-Germain will definitely be looking for a manager in the summer. And Tottenham will be about sixth of the big clubs on the list of these these blokes' you know, priorities. I reckon it's not entirely impossible Chelsea are looking for a manager either. Absolutely. Or at least have one eye on the possibility of no, no, I don't, the right person. I, I, the right I person believe that they available. will be looking for a manager in the summer as well. Absolutely. So there's another one. Virtually, uh, virtually every yeah. big club in, in Europe is looking for a manager. I mean, it was funny because on Thursday I said, who knows, by the end of the season, Bayern Munich might have sold Nagelsmann, that job might be going and Tuchel might take it. I didn't mean that later that day <laughs> that, 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 that would have happened. There's also a complicating factor in that, to be fair to Spurs, um, when they're trying to court a manager, the manager can justifiably say, well, I don't know what European competition you're going to be in totally. next season. Totally, this is and why they need really... to get one in now. Well, yeah, but but the person now would also be saying the same thing, and it's not you know it's not just one or two or th- there are three you know, and there are a lot of managers who are going to be like I am not managing a Europa Conference League team, so which is a possibility, so I'm going to wait and see. So that does complicate things, but the the real crux of it, I was thinking about this, is that the skill in appointing a manager, depending who you are is that you're not doing it necessarily based on what's happened. You're doing it on what you think is still to happen. And, you know, you look at Pochettino. Yes, he'd done well at Southampton. 
uh, an Espanyol, but that turned out to be a genius appointment because his best years were ahead of them. The mistake Spurs have made with all their proofs points is that their best work was behind them and wasn't still to come. So what would be a really skillful and clever appointment would be to say, you know what, this person, we think he's a really, in the same way you would with a player, that he's a really hot prospect for the future. And we think he's going to deliver. The hard thing with that is, A, does the club have the vision to make that sort of appointment? And B, is selling that to supporters because supporters want to go, as, as much as supporters might say we want Spurs DNA, they also want some sort of pedigree. And that's why it is, it's tricky to, and this is always the thing with that Mourinho appointment in 2019, as much as it turned out to be wrong, I can see the logic and why they didn't say we're going to go with Eddie Howe or whoever because fans might have said like, well, we just reached the Champions League final. Why are we going someone sort of beneath that? But I don't know. that I'm sure there are plenty of really good coaches out there who are not big names and whose best work is still to come. But I just don't know if those that's the kind of appointment Spurs will make when we look at who they've appointed in recent years and whether they'd actually go for an Enrique or someone who's more of a safe bet. But again, you wonder, is his best work really still to come or did he probably peak in 2015 with that Barcelona treble? I mean, you're right. They are kind of caught between the two, aren't they? They're in this position now where uh, they're kind of almost suffering from how good a job Pochettino did really because it's put them at a level where kind of, you know, quite and quite settling for a second tier upwards, the upwardly mobile manager would probably feel like a step back, but it is probably the only way or the most likely way they're going to take another step forward again. And it is quite a difficult pill to swallow, I think, for a fan base, particularly when you've had a couple of quite iffy seasons. I mean, it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, that's what they should have done in 2019. But I think they were probably in a better place to do that then than they are now in terms of like how you sell that to a fan base. I mean, just very quickly on this thing about I don't know what European competition I'm going to be in. Um, I can't have these managers. I really can't have it. They can't have it both ways. They're all desperate to work in the Premier League, right? Okay, I get that. It is the number one showcase for managerial talent probably that the world's ever seen in, in, in soccer. But with that comes the risk in a league that's competitive. West Ham United are favourites for the Conference League and they're also in the, in, the, in the bottom three. They're going to get relegated today. Very, very careful. That's the Premier League, chaps. That's what Levy needs to be saying to them. Sorry, can't guarantee you anything. It's too competitive. It's not like the it's not like the football you're used to, where you turn up and you're you're beating team seven nil, and then telling yourself you're a genius in the mirror in the shaving mirror in the morning. It's not like that at all. And I, I actually don't think that would be as big a thing as Charlie does. I mean, I'm, I might disagree on that. I mean, if you look, Conte took the job when Spurs were in the Conference how League. How did that turn out? And I don't. Well, wow, <laughs> yeah. right in went in the season they were in the Conference League, it went very well. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's very true. Well, but, but I guess well, mainly because they got once they got out kicked out. That is true. By Poxy Ren. And I don't. We're not probably not going to end up with a manager with a higher standing, a higher profile than Conte this time around. I could be wrong. I don't think they're going to get someone who with a CV quite like that. So, yeah, I don't think that should necessarily be a massive obstacle. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm sure life is easier. It's easier to convince people if you are in the Champions League. But maybe there are some managers who look at that and think, well, they could do have a season in the Europa League to give, you know, Skip and Sar and whoever else matches at that level to see, you know, to kind of get them up to speed a little bit. Again, it didn't, didn't do Spurs any harm in 14-15, did it? No, and I, th- I think, it, again, um, these people are clever enough to work through actually... Um, a very good run in the Europa League um, will give me a chance to establish myself as, as someone who can really manage this club. 
Whereas the instant competitiveness of the of the Champions League groups, we, we shall see. Maybe, but the Europa League is it's not a fun competition to be in. Like those group games are just so awful. Like yes, you can play fringe players, but you're just on such a hiding to nothing because inevitably you make six changes, you look disjointed and crap, and everyone's saying like, "Why are our squad players no good?" Well, you, why do you look disjointed and crap? Because apparently your system, which has got you this multi-million pound a year job, is, is, is so workable that people can just slip in and out of it willy-nilly. I don't understand it myself. Can I say one last thing on this? I think they, what they need to work out, and I think this is, it is hard to work out, is, that is sort of the scale of the job and the rebuild that's needed because that should shape the kind of manager you get. Like I, I, I made a... I never used to understand why Arsenal went Arteta for what was this huge bit, this huge rebuilding job because I always thought if it's that bigger rebuilding job and that challenging a job surely that need you need to give it to someone with masses of experience you don't give it to a complete rookie the mistake I made was realizing that if you do give that to someone like Conte they're going to be like oh, I've got so many crap underachieving players I'm not in it for the long haul I don't want to be doing this so it's whether they think it you know is the rebuild on that kind of scale and in which case what they'll find is if they keep going for big name managers who are used to working with really big players and having big signings is they'll get frustrated quite quickly because they will have underachieving, underperforming players. You need a hungry manager on the same trajectory as the, as the team, right? As the players. Yeah. I, I, like a manager on an upward trajectory. And again, I mean, that is, we talked about this every week, that would be one of my reservations about Pochettino. Is that I'm not sure he's on quite, he's on quite the same trajectory. He's going to have quite the same... I mean, may, maybe he's more... Hungry to you know to sit down and take on a kind of a, a five year project that he was first time around. Uh, given what happened at PSG, that might have made him think, "Christ, I mean, there's not, I don't want to do that again. I want to I want to build slowly again." In which case, fine. But I'd worry that he's not in the same place as he was in 2014. I mean, we were saying, James, it's nine years since then. That is a yeah, it's a, a long, long time, time ago. Yeah. He's a very different manager then, reputation wise, to to what he uh, that he, he was then compared to what he is now. That sort of cuts both ways as well, doesn't it? There is some good and some bad to that. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it. I think it's probably fanciful of us even to think about names at the present moment. We have to, uh, still continuing to digest, if that's the correct word, the news here on The View from the Lane that for the rest of this season, at least, um, the managerial team will be Ryan Mason backing up Christian Stellini, who um, I think we all deserve a kick in the pants. None of us thought to call in the first half of the podcast the continuity candidate. Because that's what he is. Uh, I'm here all week. Enjoy the liver. Um, wait for the prizes to roll in. Listen, thank you both um, for trying to steer us there through waters that previously, you know, as I say, I can't think of another, another major club has got themselves into this situation. And we'll see if it's a, how, how it all turns out. Let me remind you, of course, that the place to keep an eye on how, how everything is going on a day-to-day basis um, and in tremendous depth is The Athletic itself. So if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, sign up now to read all of the incredible Spurs coverage as well as everything else on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. That address again is theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back um, in a few days' time when God knows what will have happened at the Spurs Lodge. Cheers now. The Athletic.